G'day and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, the world's number one dedicated spearfishing podcast. I'm your host, Turbo, and today we have an absolutely fantastic episode where my good mate Shrek interviews the author of Deep. That's right, he interviews James Nestel. And uh, Deep, the tagline reads, Freediving, renegade science, and what the ocean tells us about ourselves. Now, James was fascinated by the sport of freediving in which competitors descend great depths on a single breath. He uh, embeds with a gang of ocean-going extreme athletes and renegade researchers. He finds whales that communicate with other whales hundreds of miles away, sharks that swim in unerringly straight lines through pitch black waters and other strange phenomena. Most illuminating of all, he learns that these abilities are reflected in humans remarkable and often hidden potential including echolocation, directional sense and the profound physiological changes we undergo when underwater. Along the way, Nestor unlocks his own freediving skills as he communes with the pioneers who are expanding our definition of what is possible in the natural world and in ourselves. Now, it sounds like an absolutely fantastic read and Shrek does a great job interviewing James, so you're in for an absolute treat today. All right, now before we get into it, we've got some very sad news. We've lost a couple of our um, diving buddies um, in the last month or so. Um, unfortunately, uh, Zach Power over in the Makara Coast in New Zealand um, passed away while spearfishing. So our, uh, our thoughts go out to his family and we wish you all the best. And uh, Scott Maguire um, in Barobi Point in Anna Bay, um, Scott was out um, chasing lobster and uh, he's also passed away. So uh, thoughts go out to his family as well. And guys, it's a, it's a, you know, stay safe out there, buddy up and look after each other. Um, and it's, it's always horrible news to hear about these deaths. So um, all the best moving forward to um, their family and friends. Uh, okay, moving on from that. We've got a couple of reviews uh, for the Noobs Bureau podcast. We'd just like to say thank you. We always love to say thank you for your reviews. So thank you to Crafty Catch and Josh Humbert for the uh, Noobs Bureau podcast reviews. And a book review from Rob Johnson is an absolute cracking review. Um, this intro is getting a bit long, so I won't read it out. But um, a big thank you to you over in Miami, mate, for, um, for that. We really appreciate that. Uh, also, coming up... Uh, a little birdie has told me that we may be getting the world record holder for Wahoo and the world record holder for Dogtooth Tuna coming on the show soon. So stay tuned for that. I won't dob him in exactly who he is, but I'm sure a lot of you know who he is and uh, we'll be very keen to learn how he managed to take two huge scalps in under, I think it was a week. So uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic trip that he had and uh, and got some great results. So we'll be talking to him hopefully very shortly in the future. So uh, stay tuned for that one. All right, well, that's all from me. Let's throw it over to Shrek and get into today's episode with James Nestor. Guys, support the Noob Spiro podcast by shopping with today's sponsor, spearfishing.com.au. That's right, you can use the code Noob Spiro and save $20 on all purchases over 200 If you're looking for that next spear gun or wetsuit, spearfishing.com.au has got a huge range of equipment for you to go and check out. There's good reviews on there about everything from booties to budgie smugglers, 
So enjoy and get hold of something good. If you live here in Australia, check out Adreno's physical stores in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane and join over 60 underwater experts to get advice about everything you need for equipment. Thank you for shopping with our sponsor, spearfishing.com.au and supporting the Noob Spiro podcast. G'day, Noob Spiro community. Today we are joined by James and Esther from, uh, where, where are you today, by the way, James? I, I didn't even ask before. I'm in sunny San Francisco, which isn't sunny at all. <laughs> cool. And uh, so James is the author of Deep, and uh, I've been wanting to get him on the show actually since uh, since 2016, since about the middle when I got hold of your book, uh, Deep. And uh, one of the listeners actually reached out to me and prodded me to read it. Chris Schlen is his name. So um, thanks, Chris, for your recommendation. So I've hooked up with uh, James today, who I believe got out for a bit of a spear on the weekend. So uh, welcome to the show, James. Thank you. Great to be here. Cool. So look, um, tell, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how you got involved with freediving and spearfishing in general, James, and, um, and what your experience has sort of been so far. Yeah, I've been a surfer all my life and spent most of my time in, in my younger years in the ocean, but I had never really gone below the surface until I was sent by Outside Magazine to cover a freediving competition in Greece and saw freediving for the first time and really blew my mind. It was pretty horrifying um, what a lot of these competitors um, ended up doing to themselves, but I also saw another side of freediving. You know, the people who made it, it was really glorious and kind of a beautiful thing to watch. And luckily I met some other freedivers who weren't competitors, but they were Spiros and they understood freediving from a different perspective, more philosophical perspective. And I was lucky enough to hang out with them for about a year and a half and learn the ways of, of the world down there. Yeah. That was uh, Hanlu Prinsloo. Is that, is that, have I got her name right? Yeah, that's, that's her. And, and Fred, Fred Boyle also, Belgian freediver. Yeah, yeah. And he's a friend of one of the guys we've had on the show, so it's funny how um, how, how small the world is, I guess. Um, uh, Fred, I also pestered him to get him on the show as well. He's a good friend of one of the guys on the show, David Ochoa. And um, got another connection as well because you had a Skype equalizing session with Ted Hardy, a former guest on the show as well. Um, so did, did Ted help you sort of um, overcome your equalizing concerns? Yeah, I mean, he's a real master of the craft, I loved his approach. It was really the opposite of what I had heard a lot of other freediving teachers um, sort of uh, instruct students in, in the ways in which to do things. I just loved his hard-ass, real clear, direct approach to this. It's a technology. It's in your body. Here's how to do it. There's a right way. There's a wrong way. And I really responded to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Alistair's actually responded well to him as well. He, he's a he's a top guy. We've chatted with um with Ted a few times. He still writes a good column in Spearing Magazine. Um, so you're still are you still writing for Outside Magazine? Sure. Yeah, I still write for magazines uh, outside and Men's Journal, New York Times. But I've been in the book world for a while now, and so uh, I haven't had too much time to do magazine stories. Unfortunately, I've just been sort of mired in book work. All right, cool. Now, I picked up deep. I was kind of amazed because you, you, you go from this freediving competition in Greece and um, you see some, some horrifying stuff and then you, you, you sort of enter the spiritual side of, of, of freediving, if you like, the more, the more free, you know, sort of, um, you know, not doing it to see how long you can do it for, more of just the, the actual free side of freediving. 
and um, and you get you, you get around to some really amazing locations in the book. Can you tell us about kind of a few? I mean, the the the, the diving you did with Fred um, with the bull shark sounds pretty amazing as well. Yeah, I mean, it it was really interesting to be coming from from zero, having no experience in freediving, and then being able to learn this stuff from really, I think, some of the best people in the world to to train it, who understand it. It's been part of their life for for decades, and uh, it was just a real privilege to see the world through their eyes for a little bit and, and understand what freediving is, the proper way of freediving, and you know, the opposite of what I saw with a lot of those competitors, how, you know, your, your body's really smart. Your brain is, is evolved to learn to, like, get you out of trouble, and you shouldn't ever turn that off. And I think that that was a really important lesson I learned from both Hanley and Fred, to listen to your body. When your body says, I need a breath, like, kick up and get a breath. Don't don't deny that. That's That's millions of years of evolution, you know, at work. And uh, I think if you follow those those rules, freediving can be. I mean, I, I'm preaching to the choir here. I understand, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it can just be a, a really meditative, peaceful, and, and safe practice if you just follow a few simple rules. Yeah, I mean, despite you know, like I've had quite a long background in the underwater world. Um, despite that, I when I when I picked up your book and read it, um, I didn't pick it up. I I, I do the Kindle thing. But um, I mean, I, I I really liked your explanation the way you walked through the mammalian dive reflex, the way the body responds to the water. I thought probably because you had a fresher perspective, you just wrote about it in a way that had a lot of clarity. And um, I mean, let's let's sort of can we can we talk a little bit about the master switch now and and, and the body's um, adaptation to water, if you like. Can we can we go can we go into that now? Because I I just really enjoyed the way you explained it. Um, yeah, maybe it is because you were so so fresh to it, and you were surrounded by by such uh, I don't know, yeah, high caliber people was way to, one way to explain it, I guess. Yeah, I just thought that all of the mammalian dive reflex stuff was so interesting because it it didn't separate free divers from the rest of the world. We all have this stuff within us. We used to use it all the time, and now you know we're sitting behind computers and and you know eating Cheetos all day, and so we just haven't had a a chance to really tap into it. Um, and mm -hmm. when, once you feel that, that switch go off within yourself, um, it, it, I just got really curious about what was happening to my own body, how it was affecting me, how I could learn more about it and use that, use those reflexes that we're all born with to, to dive deeper, you know, and still be under control. So, uh, what I thought was really interesting was some of the early research that had been done in the 60s and even before that in the 1800s with ducks you know why why can ducks hold their breath for 12 minutes and chickens can hold their breath for for three minutes you know what's the difference and what are the functions and, and reflexes happening between both of those animals um yeah, yeah and how how do they relate to us and so the deeper i went into it and in the science of it the more i got fascinated especially in regards to other animals like you know weddell seals who can swim down 2,000 feet for, for 90 minutes at a time. Like, how do you do that? Our understanding of physics is that there's no way these animals can have enough oxygen to support their system, and yet they do it all the time. And it just shows the limitations of our understanding of, of nature right now, and I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I did too. And I mean, you, you, you're fairly self-deprecating in the, in, the, in the opening sort of um, 
Well, probably to the halfway point of the book, really, where I guess you start to feel a bit more confident in the water. What were some of the obstacles you had um, personally to to um, to start getting down and, and getting more comfortable in the water? Because I remember it took you, even though you, you had some good mentors, it still took you a while to get down and, and start getting comfortable at depth. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, I think if I was introduced through to free diving through the AMA or through some really responsible and philosophical Spiros or through someone other than, than competitors. I think I would have had a really different relationship with it, but, but physically I could hold my breath right out the door. You know, I could hold my breath for a decent amount of time. I wasn't scared of water. I'm in the ocean all the time, but uh, it was a mental challenge for me that really took months and months and months um, because I had seen what happened to Herbert Nitsch you know, at, at 832 feet, it was just about the worst thing I'd ever seen. I'd seen what had happened to all the other competitors who'd come up dead and bleeding and all that. And, um, yeah. you know, so it was the it was the mental side of it that really took the longest. And I just had to saturate my brain with, you know, those those more rosy pictures of swimming with whale sharks or, you know, swimming <laughs> with real sharks or swimming with dolphins to understand that this is a natural thing. It's not doesn't have to be a natural, unnatural, competitive thing. It can just be, you know, something really nurturing and meditative. And it's that side that I, I really glommed on to. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to see some of the things you did straight out of the gate, that would have been a, a huge shock to the system. And to associate that with, with freediving would, would be like a, an obstacle in and of itself. It's just kind of a little bit unusual from from a lot of the people we talked to, I guess, because they their first experience wasn't watching, you know, people at the end of a you know a really long deep dive in blackout or samba state. Um, I mean, it is shocking to see it. We were we were talking with someone a while ago about some of the benefits of actually seeing a blackout uh, because it makes you much more aware of how to respond in the event. You know, your body pushes your buddy pushes it a bit far and and he blacks out. And you know what to do in that situation. But I mean, I guess you had completely the opposite experience. You saw like. Uh, numerous people black out and then you know blood coming from their ears and their eyes and the mouth is a, a, a big shock factor and I I got the feeling when I read the book that you you, you really didn't enjoy that experience very much <laughs> yeah, that's it to, to say it lightly yeah I didn't yeah. You, you know the, the first time I saw it I just thought you know holy crap this is this is real this Crazy. is serious but everyone else was laughing about it and the person was kind of cracking up but you know, once a guy comes up dead for a couple minutes, the, the laughs and giggles kind of go away a little bit. Um, and the gravity of the situation really sets in. And I think that it was a good wake-up call for me. I think it was a good wake-up call for a lot of the other competitors out there. Um, you know, just, just to be clear, if anyone wants to dive competitively, I, I say go for it. Like, you know, that's, that's your right to do that. I think it's awesome. Enjoy it, but that just doesn't mean I have to ever watch it again. <laughs> I just did, yeah. did, did not in, enjoy the experience at all, and especially with with Herbert Nitsch. He's this guy, like you know, super stud, super fit, amazing free diver, and now he's he's paralyzed. So it's it's just a, a real warning, and I think that's one of the reasons I'm such a conservative diver now. I think I could probably go a lot deeper than I actually go. But um, in the back of my mind, you know, I, I still think of those things and uh, I don't want that to happen. And so I just prefer to stay in control the whole time and, and never get close to having that happen. 
Yeah, just just quickly, the the Herbert Nitch thing was 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 he doing? I remember reading one of the chapter and they were doing weighted sled dives, like down to just horrific like sperm whale depths or something. Was that was that was that was that when he suffered the injury or? Yeah, he he went down on a weighted sled with some turbo boost that took him back up, and he went down uh, over eight hundred feet, um, and and came back up in real real bad shape. Uh, and it sucked because he's such a such a cool guy, and uh, you could tell everything was wrong with the dive. The weather was wrong. The currents were wrong. He was not in the right headspace. But there was a whole news crew from 60 Minutes there, and he felt he had to do it anyway. It's just you know, it's not it's not worth it. Um, and luckily, right after that, the next month, I went and hung out with 80 year old Amma, who have been free diving. Mm-hmm for yeah, you know yeah. th- their culture's been around for 2500 years and these these women were 80 and they've been diving every day since they were 15 it's like what what side do you want to hang out and, and learn from more <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I i chose yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the 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 ama side on that so yeah i was pleased you got you know you got all of the perspectives and uh and um and the diving on reunion island, island sounded like a bit of an experience as well um uh, like your, your book's really well written i remember reading about uh the the taste of the beer there um you know like uh it's just good that you gave a full, the full experience of, of of free diving how did you how did you switch over into spearfishing because in the book you you don't really talk much about spearfishing um but how did you make the switch um what what happened there yeah, I actually didn't do any spearing uh, while I was writing the book. I had a really insane delivery date on the book, and so I was still freediving as much as I could to get context on that and just working the rest of the time around the clock. So with, with spearing, it was, it was after I had delivered the book um, that I had a few acquaintances uh, who had been spearing and said, you should try this. It incorporates freediving, but you're also spearing. Um and to be honest, I had I was pretty resistant to it at the beginning because um, I'm kind of an animal rights I, I won't say activist, but but uh, you know someone who who supports that um, and mm-hmm. and you know it's a and and it wasn't until I saw spearing and understood it that I realized if you're gonna eat meat, you know if you're gonna eat fish, this is the most environmentally responsible way of doing it. You're seeing what oh, you're yeah. shooting. This isn't putting a net in and grabbing 2,000 fish and picking out 10% of them. And that's when I realized, you know, if I, I'm gonna eat fish and I am gonna eat it, then then this is the way to do it. And so once I, I saw that, and it's instantaneous too, these fish aren't growing in a farm. They're out in the open. One minute they're there, one minute they're not. And once I kind of got over that hump, um, I uh, started really enjoying it. Um, I had a pretty interesting experience. The the second time I ever went uh, spearing, I went to a river, the Sacramento River, and interviewed these guys who were spearing stripers in a river. And so it was these okay. these floating dives where they drop you off on a boat. You're going like five knots along the uh riverbed just looking for yeah. fish with your spear out uh which was a pretty psychedelic experience uh but i loved it <laughs> i thought it was amazing yeah. and and just uh it just fascinated me even more with spearing i wanted to learn more about it to, to be honest i think your um 
the, your mindset going in is was was probably a good one to go in because you you're headed in straight away with a very selective way of of hunting and uh and i mean it, it is one of the things that a lot of people realize i guess when they do start spearfishing is how exactly how selective it is like you don't shoot what you don't want and sometimes people just free dive and don't shoot anything you know so that's really cool so um i mean did you did you get in and start sparing these stripers while you were reporting there or did you sort of um did you come back later on and have a go uh no they they got me in the water the first day um and luck, <laughs> luckily i had been doing a uh, enough free diving that I had my breath holds down pretty well, but it's a different experience. You know, the river is really cloudy. You can maybe see seven feet in front of you. So <laughs> you would, you would just sit down there and something would just pop up in front of you and you, you would just have to be so fast. So this was definitely highly advanced spearing. Um, but it was also one of, one of the more fun things I'd, I'd done in years. And, um, hung out with these guys we camped out ate what we caught that night and went out the next day and um really got me intrigued and so i was able to i, I go up ab diving up in mendocino and so after you catch your limit of abs i always bring my gun and you know try to get some rockfish after that um hey, nice. but it's uh you know i suck as a as a spiro i, I totally blow <laughs> but but i love the experience of being in the water being connected with everything down there and just being part of the uh, the ecosystem. It's something I think about all the time. Now, you, you raised a really interesting point because um, hunting in like reduced visibility, you know, seven or eight feet of vis is, is, is really difficult. I mean, so what did you kind of, what did the guys teach you about how to, did they teach you about how to have your gun positioned in the right direction, how to sight down the barrel? I mean, what, what, what were some of the things you learned? Did you actually shoot anything on that first occasion? I did, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, it, wow, that's epic. It wasn't quite a, a, a prized fish, but, uh, you know, it, it worked. I got something. Oh, cool. So it was interesting, their understanding. I had never done any spearfishing in, in freshwater, so their understanding of currents and how you would have to go into these little coves and you just sit on the riverbed down there and just wait and uh, you know amidst all the murk and clouds you would just see these sort of shadows looming in the background and you would have to wait until one got close enough and then and then shoot it and it it was uh you know it was really kind of an otherworldly experience nothing i've ever really seen or or felt uh, before being being down there, so their understanding of that body of water, its its moods, its dangers, its movements, it was interesting to learn to learn about it. And um, you know, a month later, I went back with them and and caught a pretty decent fish on another river up there. So um, oh sweet, yeah, I was kind of kind of hooked after that. Ah, yeah. I mean, when you when you get something to start with and you and you eat it, I, I mean, I think that's how some of us catch the bug. I mean, I know that's how I kind of caught it, and a couple of those early wins sort of kept me going. Um, so, what did what did you spare a month later? Similar species or something different? Yeah, yeah, little little striper. So, um, oh, cool. you know, th this guy caught like a forty pounder, just this freaking monster. Mine, mine was you know about a quarter of that size, but still, it's. It was cool, and you know the fact yeah. that we're we're not just spearing shit and and throwing it away. Like everything was eaten, everything was processed, and you know the guts were given to a dog, and and so that's I you know to to see 
that process in that way made me appreciate spearing and, and hunting a lot more. You know, some some people can can rip on it, but if they're if they're meat eaters, and I I just don't think it's any better going into a Whole Foods and buying some some burgers. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna yeah. eat meat, like catching your own stuff is is that's the way to do it. I think it's ethically the the best thing to do. I think it's health wise, it's the best thing to do. So environmentally as well. And, and, uh, you know, I I promised my wife last year, I was like, well, I'm only going to eat seafood that, that I catch. And I didn't really live up to that at all, but you know, maybe one year. (laughs) I I think, you know, being connected to your foods is is one of the awesome things about being a sparrow and, and you, and you, and you brought that up well. Guys, Spearing Magazine, join the new Spiro podcast. They've got some of the best contributors in the world. They've got stories from all corners of the globe. And if you're interested in uh, contributing something, you can head along to spearingmagazine.com. Head up there to the top right corner, get into the menu, and there's become a contributor to Spearing Magazine. Now, some of the guests on our show have been uh, uh, contributors, or they regularly contribute. We've had mm-hmm. Jesse Cripps, Michael Takash, and Ted Hardy contributes a regular section. It's probably the best quality magazine, pound for pound, in the world so get in there check out the photography it's an awesome heavyweight magazine you can also get the digital edition so head over to sparingmagazine.com to learn a bit more join them on social facebook insta or youtube guys christmas is just around the corner and i bet that there's somebody in your life that wants to treat you to some spearfishing gear so don't be shy give them a hint now give them a hint that Penetrator is having a 15% off sale of some of their stock. Um, tell them to get onto penetrator.com, have a look at that extensive range they've got there, and uh, maybe, just maybe, you'll be lucky enough to pick yourself up a new pair of Penetrator spearfishing fins just in time for Christmas. All right, so that's penetratorfins.com. Look, what's, what's, uh, let's just move to another sort of part of the show. James, what's one of the toughest situations you've been in in the ocean? Um, I remember reading about going down in a handmade, homemade submarine. Um, but you, you've done several scary things on the ocean. I mean, what's one of the toughest situations you've been in? Yeah, the uh, the submarine, It's it was tough and on, on a different level, more on a psychological level. Because at least yeah. when you're spearing or free diving, you're in control of where you're going. You know, when, yeah. whenever you want to go up, you go up. You want to go deeper, you go deeper. When you're in, like, a, a guy's homemade sub, he, like, he's entirely in control. And, yeah, and you yeah. just have to give that up. Having said that, that guy, Carl Stanley, definitely one of my heroes. This guy, everyone told him he couldn't do it. He couldn't make a sub. He built his first one in his parents' backyard, and he spent more time between 1,000 and 2,000 feet than anyone in history in his homemade sub. Mm. So, you know, wow. take take that, uh, U.S. Navy, yeah. you know, there, there you go. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as other scary stuff, honestly, um, I think the, the scariest experiences I've had have been on the surface, surfing uh, by far. Ocean Beach uh, out here at San Francisco is a can be a pretty brutal place, and... Uh, I've had some some kind of close calls out there, but you know, under the water, uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever come anywhere close to a blackout for all the reasons I explained before. Um, yeah. But I've seen some animals that have definitely spooked me. You know, sperm whales 
about 60 feet long, eight inch long teeth, like yeah. pretty, yeah. pretty gnarly. But at the same time, if they wanted to kill you, that you would have been dead before you even knew it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just acclimating and understanding the, the, the motions of, of those animals, uh, I think is a, it's an interesting thing. Mm, okay, cool. I mean, let, let's go there now. I mean, the next part of the show is the, the Veterans Vault, so it's sort of where we, you know, go deep into an area of our guest expertise. I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the research and things that you cover in your book, and sperm whales was part of it, and, and um, you know, you, you seem to be quite um, involved. I've seen another um, bit of a, a TED talk or and another talk you where you're talking specifically about um, researching and studying the way these um, animals communicate underwater because it's not a very well understood um, area of science. I, I mean, some of it is, but some of it's not. And sperm whales was 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 one of the areas I think you were kind of interested in. So, I mean, can you can you tell us a little bit about um, what you've learned about sort of these large mammals um, communication um, in the water? Yeah, sure. Um, and we don't have to. <laughs> I can wait too. I didn't know that that was, that was something you were saving. I'm I'm more than happy to talk about other stuff. But if you want to talk about this now, that's that's yeah. cool as well. Okay. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm really interested in it. Um, I I think most people are kind of curious about it. I, I found it. I I found it endlessly fascinating. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about a lot of things. So yeah, sure. Um, I think that it's. You know that experience you get when you first do a, a pretty deep dive, when you first shoot your first fish and cook it up? It's like one of those paradigm-shifting experiences. I, I would definitely put diving face-to-face -face with sperm whales. Uh, I can't imagine a more uh, life-shifting experience, uh, you know, at least, at least for me. Um, and not just, you know, the danger of it, but... I'm not going to try to sound too, too woo-woo or, or new age here, but there, there's a connection with these animals. These animals have brains six times the size of ours. They're in, in many ways, in most ways, more complex and evolved. We've had our brain size for 200,000 years. They've had theirs for 15 million years, you know, and there's this sense of knowing you're in the water with this thing you just get this vibe. This thing knows so much, and it's a real deep understanding of the way the world works. And uh, every single person I know that swam with these animals, even from you know some hard-ass people who, you know, claim to you know nothing ever impresses them. Like you don't come out <laughs> of this this experience um, unchanged. Um, and so, okay. wow. after having had that experience um, and having looked at what little research had been done to understand these animals' communication. We've known for 60 years that these animals are communicating in a way that is likely far more sophisticated than any human communication. It's likely a digital form of communication that they shoot in these sound beams. This isn't some crazy hypothesis. This is all real stuff. Uh, but no one's been able to crack it to understand it because you can't put a 60-foot-long animal in a lab. So the only way to do this is by freediving with them, carrying the equipment down, engaging them, and, and collecting data that way. And this is something no marine researcher has ever wanted to do or could do. But now we have the technology, you know, technology is very small now and very powerful. And now we have the methods through freediving to really collect some real data on these animals. And so this is this initiative. I'm working with a researcher, David Gruber, very well-known dude. He's at Harvard now. 
and John uh, Coster, who's done a bunch of other conservation work with drones. We're starting this whole big thing to actually make this happen, at least, Wicked. you know, to try to make it happen. So that's mm. that's the goal. So if you don't hear from me next year, that means that everything <laughs> went terribly wrong and we all got munched and, and you know, that's an <laughs> end of story. But, but uh, that's, uh, we, we just, none of us, the... Uh, academics aren't doing anything really in this in in this world. <laughs> I should be careful there. Yeah. Uh, they they aren't cracking the language. They're researching sperm whales in some other very amazing and impressive ways. But no one's focusing on cracking this language. And with machine learning and AI, we're cracking the mouse language code. We're cracking the bat language code right now. Let's let's ramp it up to whales and see what they yeah, have to well. say. Yeah, I mean, it does. It does sound ambitious. I mean, I I, I read the book myself, and um, the the title of your book, I mean, is uh, Renegade Science. You know, um, and and I mean, some people might have labelled some of the areas of science that you kind of investigated as pseudo. But after reading the book, I definitely understood it was more renegade. It's just kind of outliers, you know, researchers that have got the sort of the stones to 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 try some of these bigger projects. So so I really enjoyed that, and uh, the fact that you you yourself had enough. Um, courage i guess to take on and go on and have a look at some of the some of these guys um you know areas of research and it really intrigued me um a lot of it and even some of the more well-known forms of um you know communication like the dolphins you know you talk about one lip is used for whistling and one is used for clicking is that right yep that's right yep and uh and and you know they have their own names and you know sequencing of how they do that i, I found the, the whole lot of it really intriguing so if uh, people are interested in that definitely go and check out uh james's book deep um on audible or amazon i'll have the links in the show notes um um so so listeners can go and check it out but uh, i also wanted to shift if, if that's right james unless you wanted to talk a little bit more about it uh no i i think that the sperm whale stuff that's that's pretty much the the summary that the foundation that we've started and trust me no one here is making any money on this crap we're, we're working yeah, at yeah. night to make this happen because we all care about this um but we just got you know nonprofit status we're we're, we're actually going to do this but it's at seti.foundation and okay, cool, in, cool. in about six months we're going to be looking for some some real badass free divers to do some whale research so okay so if anyone's cool, interested cool, cool. Uh, give, give me a holler all right sweet and so seti.org was it s-e-t-i.org yeah c-e-t-i c-e-t-i yeah it's okay, a it's cool, a cool. playoff of seti the extraterrestrial um okay. communication project so all right, cool. All right, so anyone can go and check that out. So that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I wanted to go back a little bit into the physiology side of things. Um, blood shift is so not something every um, Spiro understands unless they've read um, Manual of Freediving or one of the other similarly intimidating books that are out there. Um, what do you understand about blood shift and kind of, um, you know, how our physiology adapts, I guess, to, to diving at depth? I think it's interesting when you when you follow a diver down. This is something I tried to do in in the book, like all the different changes that occur. It's even in a sink of water. If you put your face into a sink of cold water, you know your heart rate's gonna lower about a third. Blood is gonna start shifting from your extremities into your core, and all all of these reflexes are just gonna start um, adding up. And the deeper you go, the more pronounced they get. 
So I thought it was pretty fascinating that the way that lungs are able to stay preserved is that they fill up your body instinctively knows to fill them up with, with plasma to protect them from, from the crushing pressure down so deep and the organ walls opening to allow for the free flow of fluids. And one of the most um, mind-blowing things to me was how low the heart rate gets. You know, a free diver has, has recorded a heart rate at seven beats per minute, which every physiologist had said is completely impossible that that could support consciousness. And yet it does. And just to speak to this, you know, the quote pseudoscience and or what people alleged in, in, in the book, it's all that stuff is supported by actual science. And it's it's funny that some stuff gets labeled as pseudoscience until it's proven. And then everyone yeah, backtracks yeah. and just says, oh, good point, and they move on. Uh, uh, just a little side thing, like magnetoreception, that humans have a magnet in our head and we know where magnetic north is. Everyone called BS on that. You know, for 30 years, a guy was kicked out of college for for studying that. And, uh, oh, look, we, we found two years ago that that's actually what happened. So I think that that's what's interesting about freediving is we th- doctors and, and um, people in medicine, like we all think we have the human body all figured out. And we've had it figured out for 20 years. But every <laughs> time someone goes past a limit, we have to redefine what's what's possible in the human body, and that goes to you know the the, the first ever freediving competition. You know, in um in uh, off the coast of Italy, they said the deepest we could go was was a hundred feet. Any deeper, and you know the math worked out that we would die. And you know now people are going to three hundred, four hundred feet easy. So um, I think all of those those uh, reflexes and reactions that happen in in the body, it's a good reminder. I don't think it it shows us how superhuman we are. It just shows us how human we are. And we've just forgotten that connection of all the amazing stuff we can do if we're just allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. Good, good, good explanation. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that in the book. You've got a sort of a chapter dedicated to following a body down and sort of exploring exactly what happens at sort of every depth, and um, and you and you and then you carry that on beyond the the the, the known limitations of, of our human bodies and and go right down to the floor of the ocean. And uh, I really enjoyed because I'm sort of fascinated by the ocean. I think most spiros are in some ways. Uh, it just depends on how fascinated or how curious we are about it but um it was a really that was really an interesting part of it um and another thing was um I, I was sort of curious to ask you about was have you done any research into how diet um can change uh the human body you know like there's been a lot of talk in recent years about the ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting i know that you know a lot of free divers won't eat on the morning or you know in the preceding sort of time before they do a, a, a big um a big swim um have you done any research in this area yeah it's a really good question and to be honest i haven't done too much research although i know from all the the top free divers that i've interviewed almost all of them follow a, a stringent alkaline diet you know standard no processed foods no fried foods if god made it or you know if man made it don't eat it that that kind of approach and the, the claim was that an alkaline diet is going to allow your muscles to absorb more oxygen and so you'll have those those stores of oxygen i i wish i could describe the science behind that more um but but i can't um it, it seems like that's pretty well 
proven um, to to this extent, like that, you know, an alkaline, non-processed food diet, you're just going to be healthy, you know, healthier mind. You're going to be able to mm. think more clearly. Your body's going to be healthier. How it specifically affects each depth in free diving, um, I don't really know. Yeah, this it's kind of endlessly fascinating. Like you say, so little is understood about the human body. Really, we we, we get a bit arrogant sometimes. I mean, the, the the ketogenic diet sort of, from what I, my understanding is, it switches our metabolism over from you know uh, gly- glycogen into into ketones, and and our body just runs in a completely different way. But it just sounds far more. Um, maybe it's more in a more alkaline state, but it also your body uses less oxygen by the sounds of it i don't even fully understand the mechanism so i was curious to ask you about with how far down that sort of rabbit hole your research had taken you so now that's cool um let's go back to magneto reception now um in in the spearfishing world um in recent years we've seen um, some guys developed the hex suit um, and they've incorporated the Faraday cage technology into a wetsuit to minimize um, you know the body's electrical um, signal if you like um, I mean, this is not strictly magneto reception but I mean let's go there it's kind of related um, what do you uh, think about this technology and 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 um, and it, how it relates to spearfishing I guess yeah, they've been, you know, experimenting with this for for decades. And I was at, um, I was in the Bahamas about a year and a half ago with uh, two Belgian guys who had developed a new system that was all working um, with with uh, magnetic fields. And and um, whenever the shark would come near there, they would, you know, send out the signal which would mess with their ambuli of, of Loren, Lorenzini. Um, okay. And and it worked. I saw it. I mean, these guys were freaking nuts. They had this thing set up. They baited the water for two days, and then they got in the water with a bunch of tiger sharks and lemon oh, sharks. Wow. And and they turned this thing on, and, and man, it worked. It absolutely worked. But just because it worked once doesn't mean that it's going to work every single time. You know, sharks are highly adaptable. So will they just get used to that? Um, will it start attracting them? No one really knows. Um, you know, but I've, I've seen the videos and I've seen some of the science on, on all of these devices and it seems legit to me. Um, I'm, it, it looks like they're actually, all this stuff is actually working now. But again, after a shark, you know, does it a few times, it happens to them a few times, are they, are they just going to be able to adapt to it? Um, hopefully not, but, um, I don't think there's enough people who have these to, to really give proper statistics, you know, it's, it'd be one thing if you suited up everyone in Reunion Island with, with this stuff and saw if anyone got attacked, you know, for the next year. Um, but, you know, I don't think this stuff can hurt and it seems like some of the science is, is pretty legit, but will, will the sharks adapt? I, I guess we'll find out. It's a lot of this technology. The problem with it is it's so hard to test. Like it's not like you've got a controlled lab environment. You're you're in the marine environment, which is an uncontrolled space. There's there's too many variables. And I mean, how big is a big enough? You know, there's sample size rules and all this sort of stuff and peer review. There's not even enough scientists to probably review each other's work. So like, I mean, the the ability to to get something you know through all of the rigors of a scientific protocol just uh, are too stringent. I think. 
something. Um, so you've kind of got to just read the logic and 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 some see some of the anecdotal truth and make your own mind up about it. I guess. Yeah, I think so. And you know, and a lot of it's awareness too. It's if you're going out where a place that's that's really sharky and it's mating season and you're spearing and you've got a bunch of fish on a line and they're bleeding. I mean, you know, you got to be pretty responsible as as well. It, that that to me is looking for that's going to an ATM in a bad part of town at, at 2 a.m. Like like something's going to probably happen. So, you know, in that in that regards if if this makes someone feel little more comfortable um uh you know and and again i've seen the videos i've talked to some of the people who have made these devices and it it seems legit um but i think time will tell you know all it takes is one for one surfer or one spiro to get to get attacked while wearing one of these things and i think we'll we'll have our answer there Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Shark Shield was one that's been kind of quite well marketed. Um, but I mean, there's various different companies now with this sort of technology. It's designed to you know disrupt the uh, electrical field or whatever, and the sharks leave the area. the The other side of this thing is this, this hex suit, which is uh, kind of an incorporated um, um, thing that minimizes. It's designed to minimize your your electrical output. So basically fish and other species that are set up to read these signals, they, they, they can't do that. Um, have you seen this technology? I have, yeah. And it looked, it looked pretty interesting. But my understanding of electroreception and how sharks use it is they're using it at real close proximity. Uh, I could be wrong with this. You know, it's not something they're, they're sensing from, from miles away. So if, if you've got really clear water... I wonder, you know, if if that would be enough for a, a shark to to stop from taking a munch on on you and uh, and and seeing what happens. Um, I don't know. I I have seen them. I've read a bit about them. They seem interesting, and you know, maybe it's just layers of precautions. It's it's like, okay, don't go out in really sharky waters during mating. System. Uh, don't don't bait. You know, with blood. Uh, don't have too many fish tied and wear your hex suit. And, you know, I, I think I don't think it's an end-all, be-all solution. Yeah, but, yeah, I, no, but I think no. it's maybe another layer of safety that, that you know, could, could work and be beneficial. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot of guys are using them for another aspect. I mean, I, I guess the, sh- the shark prevention is that, but they're using it more for its hunting advantages because they – they think that it minimizes their um, the ability for some of the fish they're targeting to to be able to um, sense their presence, I guess. So they're trying to sort of use it for more for a stealth kind of application. But um, got it. No, that's that's cool. I actually, um, yeah, yeah, I hadn't heard of that because I, I'm uh, when I saw it, uh, it, it was more positioned for for surfing. Um, but ah, but okay. that's yeah, yeah. that's. That's super cool, you know. Whatever mm, works, mm. and and, mm, and it mm, could mm. be, you know, even if it's having a placebo effect that you feel that more that much more confident moving around in the water and it's working for you. Who who cares? As long as it's working <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, that's that's awesome. They look pretty cool too. So so there's a, yeah, a twofer. Yeah. Nah, cool. All right, uh, interesting. All right, magneto reception. Now, um, can you explain us a little bit about sort of this this concept? I mean, I mean, reading about you know, sharks hundreds of meters down on the ocean floor following these invisible lines kind of, you know, it was very intriguing the fact that we have this ability as people to tune in on this 
um, you know, this ability to yeah tune in on a magnetic um, lines, I guess, ourselves. But sharks definitely do it, and in the marine environment, it's quite well known. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? That's a difficult one to explain, I think. Yeah, I thought this was pretty fascinating. This is also something that I had no idea existed, but... You know, everyone's been wondering for at least until 40 years ago how animals get around the globe. Everyone's thought that whales navigated through celestial signs or solar signs, but that doesn't make any sense in storms. It doesn't make sense, um, you know, when there's there's haze or clouds overhead. Um, it, it was just too crazy for anyone to consider that animals could be locked into the Earth's magnetic field. Um, but we found out about 50 years ago in the, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, that this is exactly what happens. This is how butterflies can fly from one tree to another tree 2,000 miles away. Um, you know, they're, they're not following some path or, or road signs. They're following this, this internal sense that is locked into the revolving molten core of our planet just like there's a magnetic north but it's what's different is it's so precise that sharks and almost every marine animal is using some form of magnetoreception and they were tagging sharks with satellite tags and they found that literally they would swim in a straight line thousands of miles from south africa to the coast of Australia, to the same beach every year, back and forth in a straight line at like a thousand feet down. So, yeah. how do you how do you do that if there isn't some some other sense? Um, and it turned out that humans have this as well. This is the guy who was researching this did like study two thousand people, every imaginable. Uh, variation of experimentation uh, came out with the results. Everyone called him a pseudoscientist, a fraud. And, you know, just a couple years ago, they found in laboratories that humans have magnetoreception. We're able, we have the skill too. We've used it for tens of thousands of years. We've just forgotten how to today because we have GPS on all our phones and, you know, there's street signs everywhere. So, it's that that sort of ancient knowledge that's been lost. Um, I thought was pretty interesting, and it related to free diving a lot too. Mm -hmm. You know, we're born with this ability to free dive really deep and stay underwater really long. No one believed it until people actually started doing it, and it turns out there's this whole rich history of people free diving all over the planet. Um, I think it's great to rediscover that stuff. It's rediscovering what it's like to be to be human, you know, and I, and I think that that's pretty interesting. Let, let's move on. Um, really, really good chatting a bit more about some of the, into some of the deeper and maybe perhaps quirkier areas of the, uh, your book, but uh, that was sort of the questions I wanted to ask. <laughs> um, next part of the show is the funniest moment. So, um, you know, you, you've spent a lot of time surfing, uh, freediving and, and now you're spearfishing as well. What's one of the funniest things you've seen out on the water? Uh, I don't know if it's funny, but uh, well, it's kind of funny. Um, up in the uh, in Mendocino and Sonoma Coast, uh, you can abalone dive, but um, and, and, and you can only eat abalone that that you catch. You can't buy this stuff in stores. Um, and, and so it's really this prize thing. And there's like this macho, whole macho vibe around it. So 
you see these guys coming from four hours away out to the coast and uh, trying to dive and just forcing themselves down and not understanding if you're able to truly relax, that uh, you know, you're able to go so much deeper and stay for, for so much longer. And, and to me, that's exactly, it's really a parable to where I was before I learned about free diving and the, the nuances to it. Um, and I, I mentioned that this is funny because these guys are so macho about it, you know, how, how they could go down seven feet for, for 15 seconds, just pushing, pushing, pushing the whole time. And I, I think that that's just sort of a, you know, a good, it, it's, it's an interesting analogy to many things, not only free diving, but other stuff, you know, you got to understand the stuff from the inside. You got to let your body do what it wants to do. Never, never force it. And, and never, um, you know, go to a place where your body is telling you not to. And so it just, it's just a reminder to me every time I see those guys um, <laughs> to, to try to step back and, and listen to the ancient wisdom in our bodies and, and follow that as a guide. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's kind of good. I think spearfishing and freediving teaches us a few of those lessons, you know. Like when you're too excited, um, you're never going to shoot a fish, you know. And um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to muscle your way against the water, I mean, you're just doing it the hard way. Um, so it's good. There's lots of these things in, in, in spearfishing and freediving, I guess, and they – they they teach us a bit of humility, I guess, and like you say, listen to your body and uh, a bit of a bit of um, a bit of the internal sense of right, I guess. For sure, and I I think that's that's the right word is is humility. It's it's nice to get your your ass kicked on occasion and free diving, you know, and spearing and surfing and basically anything on the ocean really really humbles you in a lot of ways i'd I'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't been seriously humbled by by the ocean in a big way and it gives you a a larger sense of the world around you and i think that that's why you know all of us love love going back so often and 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 relearning that and getting our butts kicked yeah for sure for sure for sure Good stuff. All right. Um, in your dive bag, you mentioned uh, one of these guys gave you a good deal on a Rob Allen before the show. Um, are you still using a Rob Allen now? I mean, head to toe, what's your sort of um, go-to spearfishing equipment for um, Cal- Californian waters? Oh, man, this is not going to impress you guys at all. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm the sort of person that I won't get good gear until I've proven to myself that I deserve to have good gear. I did the same thing with with guitars. I just used an absolutely crap guitar until I, you know, knew all the chords. So I'm still very much a beginning Spiro. I've got a JBL Travel Spear that I take uh, everywhere with me because it's just so compact, and I, I think that those are uh, just so beautifully made. I bought some other ones that um, just ripped up my hands. Big disaster. I've got the Rob Allen when I'm getting a little more serious. Um, I did splurge and get a Elios, um, two Elios uh, freediving wetsuits. I uh, can't speak uh, highly enough about those guys. Italian made. They're as cheap as something that you buy off the shelf, but they're all custom fit by this little mom and pop shop. Great right. stuff. I've had for four years. It's just in perfect shape, better than anything else. Um I think I have a Rob Allen mask, um, and I mean, those, those are my two spears, as sad as that is. I still have my, and, and freedivers always give me uh, crap about this, but 
when I took my first ever freediving course, I bought a pair of plastic SEAC uh, fins. And those okay. are still the same fins I have. And, I mean, you should just hear the crap I'm getting from these guys about getting carbon fiber. I get it, but I, I kind of want to, like, you know, deserve to get some some better equipment. So that's that's what I'm stuck with now. Uh, but are it they, seems, seems to work long, Are they longer freediving? Oh, Plastics yeah. Or? Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. Oh, they're, they're fine. They're fine. They're really long, and, and I love them because I can – I can wrap these things up. I have a smaller suitcase. I like to travel light, but I can bend these things up in basically a circle, and it just doesn't matter. They always flop back. They're all scratched and ripped up, but uh, but they work, and they work great, and uh, I've been happy with them. But that's definitely on the list is to get some good carbon fibers for sure. Yeah. The, um, the, the bad thing about the carbon fiber is, I mean, that technology's developed and they're pretty tough now, but when you're shore diving, you're probably still better off with your plastics or a set of, um, of fiberglass composites because they do get beat up. And, um, you know, when you've spent five or $600 on them, like I don't want to wear them shore diving. Um, I'd stick with the plastics on, on beach diving for sure. You're the only free diver who's told me that, and God bless you. I will. I'll, I'll be sticking oh, with them for sure. There's some old guys here, and they, they just laugh at all of us spending money on, on, on fins. Um, I mean, one of the sponsors for the show, um, Larry from Penetrator, he makes all the high-end fins. Um, but some of the old guys still wear plastic fins. Um, that I mean, obviously, you spend more money, you get more economical um, products, but... The, the the plastics are fine, especially for shore diving. Um, I, I'd stick with them, but yeah, when when you when you want to go out a bit wider and um, and have a have an easier time of it, um, I think you can spend some money. But yeah, and then nothing, nothing wrong with it as far as I'm concerned. Cool, good to hear. <laughs> um, any other gear of note that you you really like with your spearfishing now? Um, are you keeping your fish out of the water? Are you using a, like a boat float or um, anything like that? I have a standard float I've had for a long time. Um, I don't know the brand or anything like that, but that's usually what we do. Sometimes I'll paddle um, the float out on, uh, I have a huge 10-foot uh, surfboard, and I'll paddle it out on that. But mostly I'm doing shore dives that... that um, where the spots aren't too far from shore, so I'm I'm usually paddling out on on the float, on a uh, you know the inner tube float and and oh, and yeah. doing doing that. I've been you know on on my list is to get a really good seaworthy kayak because there's some spots I want to check out up north, um, but just hasn't hasn't happened yet. But uh, that's that's probably going to happen uh, pretty soon. So I'm I'm hoping. Epic, epic. Um, if you do get a chance to go up a bit north, check out um, Jim Russell. He's a top man to take you out. And uh, th those guys get some big abs up the, up the the northern end of California there. Um, how far north do you have to go to get any abalone? Well, it has to be north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and, you know, I'm four miles from the Golden Gate Bridge, which sounds great. I could just hop off, off the other side and We've investigated all those areas, and there's nothing. So you got to drive up about two and a half hours to the Sonoma coast, and um, and that's where it gets. You know, we've got some some secret secretish spots out there, and that that's where we go. And the ab population seems to be have completely rebounded. It's really healthy now, which you know just makes you feel good about 
going down there and grabbing a couple for dinner. So, all right. And um, if guys want to check out the legislation for hunting abalone in your area, where where would you send them? I, I just remember talking to a couple of guys over your way, and the rules are quite comprehensive. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insanely complicated. I mean, it's the California fishing fishing game. I think they they're fishing wildlife now, but um, they have a pretty comprehensive ab list. Uh, the limit now, I think I could be have this wrong, is is something like fourteen a year, two a day from certain spots. Um, but but they could tell you all that when you get your license. Um, but, but that's just something like ab diving is, I wish I could do it more. Um, my life has been a little, little kooky lately, so I haven't been able to do it, but it's, it's something I think about all the time and, uh, is just such a, and like, if you don't have a spear or anything, it's something you can just go out there with a wrench and do it. And it's just this really primitive, cool thing to do. And I, I absolutely love it. It's a good time. Yeah, cool. All right, sweet. All right, last section of the show, James. Um, sort of a faster paced round of questions. Spiro Q and A. Um, let, let's make it more general. Let's make it um, free diving and sort of Spiro Q and A. What's the best advice you've received uh, in spearfishing or free diving? Know your limits. All right, cool. Who is the most influential person uh, for you in your in your spearfishing and free diving? Hanley Prinsloo. What are the current challenges you face in your spearfishing, and how are you trying to overcome them? A completely overstuffed calendar of bullshit um, that just seems <laughs> to be constantly mounting and not letting me get in the ocean anymore. That's my main challenge. Um, and I want to go deeper. Uh, you know, I'm having some equalization issues pass around 70 feet um, where I just uh, so so that's something I'm, I want to focus on this next year. All right. Um, just just quickly off the top of my head, um, just check your mask. It might be too high volume. Um, I, I, I don't want to smash brands here, but um, I would definitely get a look at a lower volume mask. And for um, <laughs> going spearfishing more, we got a, we got an article on Noob Spiro. You you will have a good laugh at six tips to go spearfishing more. Um, there's a good job, uh, good section in there about how to throw a sick day. Um, so maybe you could look at that for some of your appointments. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks when you work for yourself though. Sick days yeah, don't I know, really. I know, I know. You got to look in the yeah. mirror when you're talking to the boss, you know, and then yeah, sometimes yeah. that doesn't go so is, well. The boss, the boss is an boss asshole. asshole. Yeah, he's a complete yeah. dick. Yep, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Who's the best spear person for you that you like to go spearfishing with, and why? Uh, I think the uh, Greg Fouts. He's the guy that owns the Freedive Shop in Sacramento. Very okay. knowledgeable dude. Um, I think that's his last name. I haven't talked to him All in right. a while, but he runs the whole shop up there. Um, and just just to see his movement and his control in the water was was really impressive. And um, you've inspired um, lots of people um, that have read your book to um, have a go at freediving. And perhaps after listening to this episode, people are inspired to try spearfishing. We have a lot of uh, new people that are interested in spearfishing listen to this show. Um, if you had to give them three pieces of advice um, about starting spearfishing, what would they be? I'd go well, slow. Two or three, two or three. Okay. <laughs> go slow, get comfortable in the water, and again... Don't push it. Listen to your body. All right, cool. Good. Good stuff. All right, awesome. Really good chatting with you, um, James. Now, we've got a, a, a bit of a, a listener trial. If people want to go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspiro, 
they can get their hands on your book, Deep, uh, Renegade Science and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves. They can get that book free on there at the moment. Um, free 30-day audible trial and get hold of um, the Deep book because it's a phenomenal read. Or you can check it out on Amazon.com. Um, you can come along to Noob Sparrow. All of this will be linked up in the show notes under James Nestor. But... Um, Look, where can people get hold of you? Where can they um, find out a bit a bit more about what you're working on and things like that, James? Uh, I wish I was on social media more often, but I'm not. Um, I have a new website that's coming up in the next couple of days at mrjamesnester.com. I also post on Facebook whenever you know I, I feel like it, which isn't too often. But um, <laughs> you know that's 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 what I'm I'm working on a new book right now that should be out in about a year or so um, if if all goes well. So that's that's where I'll be spending my time in book zone. All right, wicked. Well, I really appreciate you making time for us today. And um, if if people do go along to mrjamesnester.com, I I went through. I found it quite interesting. There's a lot of videos there. Video talks about all of the different. You know, there was the master switch freediving. There was um, your your sort of your scuba diving trip down to the little research station there. I think is was that Aquarius you talked about in the book? Yeah, I hope it's still there after the hurricanes in Florida. I have no idea what happened to it. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but let's let's hope it's it's still there. That's crazy. People living on the floor of the ocean in twenty meters of water and just uh, yeah, like it looked like an old beaten up thing in the video. So, but yeah, head along to mrjamesister dot com. Um, there was a, a whole lot of articles and stuff you've written there. Um, really enjoy reading your stuff, James, and uh, I really appreciate you joining us today. So awesome. Thank you very much. Really, this is really fun. Okay, guys, I hope you got something out of today's episode with James Nestor. He's an interesting guy. I've heard him on other podcasts, and uh, he's a very interesting man. Um, thanks, Shrek. Another sterling effort from you. God, you're just always doing good work over there in China, mate. I'm just very impressed with you. Anyways, um, what was I going to say? Yes, we have an absolutely cracking episode coming up from you. The man himself, Tim McDonald. I know so many of you want to hear from Tim Mack. We always get emails saying, interview Tim McDonald. We call him up and he's just like, oh, not you guys again. No, no, seriously, we call him once and he come on the show straight away and he shares some absolutely brilliant stuff. We picked three of the big name species that everyone has trouble hunting and uh, he reveals how to get those fish and some of those trophy fish in those species that he's that he got and how those once-in-a-lifetime conditions came together for him to get those fish. So uh, he tells us everything, leaves nothing out. Uh, I'm sure he is leaving something out, but we haven't worked it out yet. So uh, a very, very interesting episode. Stay tuned for that one next week. As always, guys, the book is getting just painfully closer, painfully closer to being released. It has just been an absolutely arduous task dealing with Chinese printers and shipping and that kind of thing. and But we're getting very, very close. So all of you guys that submitted uh, photographs and all that kind of thing, your copies are on their way. We've got the first 200 off the printing press, so we're very, very excited about that. And they are on their way from a slow boat from China, so it shouldn't be too far away. Um, and also any other potential sponsors that would love to Get into that book, get some advertising in that book, get their name out there and share some tips 
Uh, we've also got room for our next production run to get some tips and some sponsorship in there from you, some of the big names out there. So uh, feel free to contact us, Shrek at Noob Spiro, turbartnoobspiro.com, and, uh, and we'll see what we can do there. Alrighty, once again, thanks for all your support. Thank you for tuning in every week. Thank you for throwing up your ideas of who we should interview on the show. We're trying to get as global as we can. So if you're in the US, tell us someone that you want interviewed. If you're in Australia, tell us. If you're in South Africa, in Europe, doesn't matter where you are, dob somebody in a big name, let us know because we don't know. And uh, we want to share this gold from these experts. So wherever you are in the world, let us know. All right. I've waffled on for more than enough. Have a great fortnight, guys. Hope you get in the water. Hope you shoot some fish. And as always, buddy up and dive safe. Guys, a big thank you to everybody that has visited the Adreno Spearfishing website. That's spearfishing.com.au. A big thank you because... By you using a Noob Spiro code, uh, that supports our principal sponsor that in turn supports us and uh, keeps this little podcast of ours going so that uh, you can hear all the tips, tricks and advice from the world's best Spiros. So once again, guys, thanks for getting on to Adreno's website and using the Noob Spiro code at checkout. For those of you that haven't done it yet, uh, on all purchases over $200, you'll save yourself 20 bucks. So... Uh, if you want to support the show and get yourself a red-hot deal on some spearfishing gear, get on to spearfishing.com.au and use the code NoobSpiro at checkout. Guys, Christmas just around the corner. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The number one book on the market for any budding Spiro is, of course, 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing, put together by Shrek and myself from over 40 of the world's greatest and best spearfishermen and women. So uh, do yourself a favour, pick up a copy uh, from Amazon and uh, that PDF will definitely help you become a better Spiro. And in the not-too-distant future, it's getting closer, the hard copy is on its way. So uh, we can't wait till that gets here and uh, you can get your hands on a red-hot copy of 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. But at the moment, you can get it at Amazon. <laughs>